It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I'm your show host, Randy Fine. Today, we're going to be talking about having empathic sensitivity, which I know many of you do have. Um, And if you don't, uh, you may not know what it is, and you're going to learn what that is today. Um, Empaths feel deeply tuned into the feelings of others to the extent that they sometimes have a hard time distinguishing their emotions from others. If so, um, when they do that, they may be a highly sensitive person or an empath, which there is really a difference between the two, and we're going to learn what that is today. Empaths often describe feeling like a sponge that soaks up the emotions of others. Today's special guest, Sydney, an endured and ordained spiritual counselor, certified integrative therapeutic alignment practitioner, and author of the recently published book, The Space in Between, an Empath's Field Guide, will share how to tell if you are an empath or a highly sensitive person and how establishing boundaries can help both. Splitting splitting her time between Colorado and Norway, Sydney Myers-Hoven is an ordained spiritual counselor and energy medicine practitioner and author, and she teaches highly sensitive people practical exercises to successfully be vulnerable, add peace in their bodies, connect to nature, and feel safe with others. She's lived on on five continents, raised four children, pets, and has a soft spot for playing squash and golf, and she's a very good listener. (laughs) So um, let me get, let's bring Signe on, and we'll get started. Good morning, Signe. Hello? Yes, Signe, can you hear me? Oh, do yeah. I have the wrong? My name is Lisa. Oh, I have the wrong person. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to put you back on hold. My error. I'm sorry. Good morning, Signe. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Hi. Thank you for having me, Randy. Oh, you're you're so welcome. Okay. So my biggest question is the one that has to do with the title of your book. Um, why did you call your book the Space in Between? <laughs> what is, um, how does that have to do with um, empaths? Yeah, um, you know, that's um, it's a very important part of the book and also about the mechanics of being an empath is that, you know, when you can fully embody your empathic nature, um, you really are kind of straddling between the energetic realm and the physical realm. And, you know, it's this ability to feel something um, energetically and yet um, understand its relationship to the physical. And so, you know, the more clarity you have about your abilities to receive information energetically, um, you kind of learn to toggle in this space in between. Um, and, you know, and so that's also where the heart chakra kind of creates this um, this keystone between your upper chakras and your lower chakras. And, you know, we process our life through our heart. And um, that's also the space in between the spiritual and the physical. Okay, so the upper chakras versus the lower chakras. The lower chakras would be, um, you know, where we, um, our solar plexus and our root chakra. Um, what and our is sacral. The and our sacral and our sacral chakra, right? Um, versus the the throat chakra and the third eye, or you know, um, and the, the sixth chakra. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the um, and the the head chakra. So the difference between the two. Why is one more um, empathic or one more intuitive than the other? Well, I, I wouldn't say anyone is 
um, more or less than the other. They all have their function and they all work holistically together. But if one is a little bit out, it does impact the whole thing because, you know, we're an interdependent system where, you know, everything is um, connected. And so this is why um, when one's working on healing, um, limited perceptions or, you know, um, generational programming or any belief system that is limiting yourself, um, it's important mm-hmm. to kind of go in and look where this uh, energy blocking. And so your lower three chakras kind of represent the physical realm. And so, you know, I, um, it's like the, the root chakra is where our family and our clan and our um, kind of beliefs of belonging to, you know, a group and what, you know, what is safety, what is abundance, what are you know, our perceptions on that, and also how do we ground into the earth. And so we also then have um, our second chakra, which is um, a lot of where the emotional subtle body is kind of tied into and it relates to creativity procreation um and um there's a lot of noise on the line do you hear that or is it just me? no i don't oh, hear okay. it i'm okay i'm I, and i'll just continue and so okay. um and then we go and and you know your second chakra is more about um one-on-one relationships so we've gone from the root chakra which is more about group and group family consciousness to the second chakra which is about more your one-on-one relationships and um, intimacy and um, then you move up to the solar plexus and then you come up to the individual where self-esteem and you know perception of self so you know you've kind of climbed up from group to one-on-one to individual and your life experiences um, you know, are kind of processed through these three lower chakras. How do you feel about yourself? What, how is your inner dialogue? What is your mental subtle body like? Because it's kind of tied into your solar plexus. Um, so, you know, an emotional, you know, you were talking earlier about how you, um, you know, you help a lot of people that have been, you know, through emotional toxicity or abuse and, you know, how do you clean up that area of your life? And um, so I, when you move to the higher chakras, they're more kind of what I would like to call theoretical. Um, you know, in science, there's a theoretical and then there's the applied sciences. So I kind of like to say that the top chakras are where our theory is and if we can put it into application in our life, in our relationships, in our perceptions, you know, that is when we've taken the spiritual principles and um, down through the heart and into our life and we can express it because the physical world is all about expression. Um, everything that's in the physical world um, can be named um, and it's an expression and the definition for create is actually to call into being so we're calling into being our life and so that you can see there just using that language you can see how important the throat chakra is then you know so how do you speak um again it's about your beliefs and your perceptions you know what is how how do you speak about yourself um you know is there a disparity between what you're thinking and um how you're acting um, you know, so th- there's a lot there, but I, I hope I've kind of distinguished for you the difference between the the lower chakras are really here to show you how you are applying um, the tenets of love and charity and forgiveness and, you know, all these things that are um, can be quite theoretical. Yes, I think you explained it very well. Thank you. So you say that no one is born an empath, that we might, <clears throat> we might be born sensitive and empathic, but no one is born an empath, that we evolve into that. So can you explain that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think in today's world there is, you know, uh, being an empath or being naming yourself an empath, there seems to be a, a kind of a buzz around it. And without a lot of understanding what um, that means. And so for me, if someone is declaring that they are an empath, 
um, it means that they really have um, an awareness about their empathic sensitivities. They have really good boundaries. Um, they can be open and available without, you know, being compromised or giving in detriment to themselves. So a lot of life for a sensitive person is learning to navigate this path of, you know, empathic sensitivity, how to understand when you're picking up something that doesn't originate from you. Because, you know, when we, um, if you pick something up energetically, it has an origin. And, you know, I think the first thing for, you know, what I like to tell people who are empathically sensitive is that not everything you feel is yours. You know, I think, Unfortunately, we're born into societies that don't give a lot of um, framework or understanding about sensitivities or the energetic component to our physical life and like mental thoughts or emotions and um, and beginning to understand what does originate from you, like what are your own thoughts, what are your own feelings, gives you the baseline that you can then start to say, well, you know what, it's not reasonable for me to have this thought, this, this isn't mine or my moods just change suddenly, you know, this this doesn't necessarily represent what the way I truly feel, so I must be getting something from someone else. Um, so I really do say, too, that, you know, when you're an empath, you have that ability and the discernment and the spiritual maturity to know if you're going to step over the line of being passively receiving information to actively engaging it. And um, so... That's kind of my my kind of declaration of why I feel strongly that no one is born an empath. Um, you're born sensitive. You're born with empathic, intuitive um, channels. But it's up to you to learn how to embody it and how to um, let it be part of your authentic self. Um, yeah, so I hope that clarifies a bit there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very different than what I thought um, of an empath because <clears throat> I thought an empath had those sensitivities but did not necessarily, I mean, I, that it was something, a skill that they, or um, a gift, basically, that they had to hone. That um, So you're saying that we don't really take on the label of empath or, the, or call ourselves an empath until we've developed the boundaries and learned how to work with it. That is that what you're saying? Am I correct? Yes, because, you know, and, and the reason I say this is that, you know, energy speaks and energy listens. And if you're telling the environment that you're an empath, you know, and for me, you know, a definition of an empath is someone who senses balance or imbalance and can um, help balance an atmosphere, can, um, you know, do it in a way that's not, um, creating hardship for themselves and overstepping boundaries. And so um, I think it's important to realize that when you identify yourself as an empath prematurely, you're nonetheless telling the environment that you're in service because, you know, from my perception, um, an empath is someone who is offering themselves in service and to the space, to the environment, to the earth, in helping to balance um, energies. And so if you are saying you're an empath and you're working under that label, then the environment is likewise going to say, okay, well, let's, you know, present, let's, you know, let's present ourselves what needs to be balanced. And if you don't have the tools, if you don't have your own knowingness about your skills and abilities, um, then it's going, the environment's going to seem very chaotic and um, overwhelming. And, and this is what I hear, you know, you read forums or you see people post on Facebook. And, you know, I have a Facebook ad that's um, out there uh, talking about, you know, an empath is uh, just empathic sensitivities is just the ability to communicate to nature and yourself and others in a larger um, conversation, and it's neither a gift nor um, a curse. And so many people, that was a very polarizing statement. And so I had a lot of people saying, of course, it's a gift. It's a superpower. It's this, it's that. And then I had other people said, you know, oh, it's a curse. It's overwhelming. I can't even go anywhere. I can't, you know, so when your sensitivities are 
when you, you have the perception that your sensitivities are victimizing you, then you really haven't tuned into how to take control. You haven't embodied um, yourself. You haven't cleared up, you know, the perceptions and the healing that you really need to do because it isn't ultimately your sensitivities are a guidance and it's an invitation to come home into yourself, into your own body, into your own skin so that you feel comfortable no matter where you are. Okay. Thank you. That, that, that helps um, to sort of explain the difference. So, so if we are highly sensitive, but we have not learned or, you know, use the skills to, um, what am I trying to say? Yeah. If, if we haven't sort of honed the skills and, and learned how to use them in, in the best way for us, then that's when we're considered highly sensitive. Not exactly. Um, I mean, there okay. is an overlap. Um, it, you know, there okay. is an overlap. I, um, you know, um, Dr. Um, Eileen Aaron, you know, she termed the phrase highly sensitive person, I think back in 1988. Um, and when, you know, this became a legitimate field of study, when it became um, researched and, you know, they understood that there's now this genetic marker that um, 15 to 20% of the population have that helps them to be um, highly sensitive in how they process their environmental stimuli. Um, this is kind of, for me, uh, a mark in that, you know, everyone who is sensitive you know, try to climb under that umbrella and say, okay, well, this explains me. Yes, I have advocacy. I have um, counseling that's available for me. But what I found and why I felt the time for writing my book was now is um, the highly sensitive label did not address empathic sensitivities in the sense that for empathic sensitive people who pick up intuitively other people's thoughts and emotions, or stuff in the environment, um, you know, it didn't address that really. And so I, I said, well, you know, now is the time to kind of allow there to be several umbrellas, you know, and you could do like a Venn diagram and there's probably people who are both highly sensitive and um, empathic. Um, so for me, a highly sensitive person is really about what's happening on the physical realm. You know, there's bright lights, there's loud sounds, there's um, there's a physical component to what they're sensitive to. And yes, they can pick up the subtleties of um, a room. You know, they can feel the tension. They can look at people's body language. And, you know, part of the highly sensitive label, I'm sure, was created as a way for um, being observant as a way of a survival mechanism that, you know, if you scan the room, maybe you're not, a, they're not going to be the first one to leap up and be action oriented, but they're going to sit back. They're going to read the room. They're going to kind of assess, you know, the dynamics. And this is, you know, yes, it's intuitive, but it's also um, dependent on their keen observational skills. Um, an empathic person can come into a room, excuse me, and there could be no visual clue. There could be no one there, but yet they feel um, they feel the tension. They can feel that maybe something um, emotionally happened in the room. And that is them picking up energetically what is in the room. So this is kind of where I, um, I like people to kind of assess for themselves, are you someone who's relying on visual clues or physical stimuli that is making you highly sensitive and affecting your nervous system? Or are you someone who is um, intuitively, energetically picking up information? And how is that impacting your sense of safety, your sense of self, um, your own nervous system, you know? So does that help? <laughs> yeah, sort of. I mean, I have a couple more questions. So the... The people that I work with who have had emotionally abusive childhoods, um, I generally find that one of the difficulties that they have as adults, there are many difficulties, but one of them is that they are sensitive to the energy around, uh, around them. They are sensitive to picking up things from other people. 
And it doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to deal to work with that or, you know, that it's a gift, but that um, being a child in an environment that was so emotionally unpredictable right. causes them to almost have to become sensitive to the feeling that's around them, to knowing when something is going to erupt before it happens. So would you call that person an empath? Um, you know, it's part of that. But, you know, what you're describing is, you know, a survival mechanism that they have learned from being exposed to environments where there was unpredictability. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they're, they're, they are hardwired now because, um, you know, they need to be on alert. They have to take care of themselves. You know, no one else is. So, you know, there cre- starts to create um, these survival mechanisms. And it's partly taking in the emotional body because that's where the abuse was experienced. But it's also taking in part of the mental body, the mental subtle body, because um, the mind is very powerful and it wants to ensure safety. So, um, you know, when you suspect that, you know, if you're able to read energy, if you're also starting to become more intuitive, because I think people who have had hard um, childhoods, you know, they they learn skills of people reading. And they also, you know, if they come inward and start to do the healing work that you, you know, you provide in other people, um, one of the, you know, the benefits of doing that is, you get to know yourself and you get to know what makes you uncomfortable or you notice when you're uncomfortable. A lot of people become so numb that they don't even register what they're feeling and they are just knee-jerk reacting. So, you know, having that ability to go inward and to take a pause and say, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? Where am I feeling in my body? When have I felt this before? You know, and, and, and use it as an investigative way of discovering where energy is holding. And um, so I think, you know, doing inner work provides you a pathway into becoming more intuitive. And, you know, people can be intuitive without having to be empathic, but empathic sensitivity is also part of the intuitive channels. So, you know, the intuitive, um, emotional intuitive person is going to be feeling with their subtle body, almost I could say it's like we're an octopus and we have tentacles as well energetically, but, you know, we don't see that with our physical eyes, but your your subtle ener- emotional body, your subtle mental body, this is kind of what's feeling out in the room and providing you with information. And, you know, that's why I come to say that, you know, empathic sensitivities, all it is doing is is giving you information in which you must process. And so um, can you stay neutral and receive that information and then respond to it rather than react? And usually when we have unprocessed emotional uh, trauma, you know, we're more into a reactive um, posture. And so as you build resilience, as you build a sense of knowing about yourself and your sensitivities, um, you start to get comfortable in your body enough to say, you know, I'm going to just sit with this a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to investigate this and, you know, look for a response rather than a reaction because a reaction tends to build barriers where a response builds boundaries. And so for me, you know, this is also the invitation of letting your sensitivities guide you um, whether you're empathic or not. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that answered some of your questions. Yeah, I mean, there. there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a gray area there. Um, there's a bit yeah. of a yeah. yeah. There's a bit of a crossover. Yeah. So yes, it. But it did. Thank you. Um, and you, you just uh, you mentioned about the body being a messenger, and um, and I'm looking at this uh, part of your book where you talk about the body as a messenger. And you bring in um, your reaction to uh, your religious experiences and how uncomfortable that was for you. And that resonated with me because that's exactly how I felt. It, um, 
it clashed with what I believed, and I uh, it was very difficult for me to to sit there and sort of try to be part of something that didn't resonate with me. So um, I see that 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 kind of was your situation. Am I yes. um, am I explaining that correctly? Yes, I I had a very visceral, physical, um, you know, uh, body experience when I, as a young child, I was brought into churches and, you know, I just kind of wanted to flee. (laughs) It was like this, this wasn't for me. Um, Yeah, so it's, you know, but at the same time, I I do um, respect and honor a lot of the spiritual teachings and the spiritual masters that you know have come into humanity to help us evolve um to live from our hearts right but but you say um empathic sensitivities have no religious affiliation yes i agree that with that statement that i've made and i say this because um i mean i can explain a bit from the book i um i gave an example that you know a physical empath is having a relationship with um the, the body is having a relationship to the environment. And so its language, its vocabulary is going to be how it feels. It's, you know, what is the environment making the body feel? And so as an empath, it can pick up energetic um, messages that are coming, you know, in or around me. I was driving, this is just one example, but I was driving on a, a busy Houston highway. It's one of the beltways that go around Houston. I was driving into t- um, to work, and I was hit with a sudden um, hit of adrenaline into my chest. And, you know, it was so severe. I thought, oh, my God, I'm having a, a heart attack or what? And, you know, I was I began deep breathing. And as I was kind of collecting myself, every car around me had to slam on their brakes um, because of an accident up ahead. So oh, well. I had... I had felt the adrenaline rush, a, a group adrenaline rush that was created from this epic center it hit me before the action was required. And um, so this is something, you know, you're picking up. And initially I thought, is this something with me? Am I having a heart attack? But then when the brakes hit, the adrenaline kicked in. It was, you know, it was a biological message that adrenaline is usually there to show you action is required urgently. It's not emotional. It's action is needed urgently. And, you know, so as we all sit there in our cars kind of collecting ourselves and happy that no one rear-ended everyone else around them, um, I started to pick through what did the sensation feels like because this is what, as a physical empath, I have a working glossary. It gives me uh, an understanding if I have felt something before, what it was related to. If I feel it in the future, it kind of helps me build a a bigger and better understanding of it. So I kind of do this like if you were tasting food and you want to pick out what are the ingredients, what herbs are used. And so I do that with um, any physical or emotional sensation. I pick up, you know, I kind of create this working glossary because it then helps me navigate and move through my life with greater ease. Um, because I'm not like dumbfounded every time something happens. You know, right. like, oh, that's that. Yeah. So, and when I had this experience, it was the clearest way I could explain to people who, you know, felt it was a religious gift um, that, you know, no, actually, when you feel something, um, there is no religious overtones attached to it unless, of course, that is what you're intuitively picking up about a situation um, and doing a reading of sorts. But on the human level of humanity, you know, we all have feelings of love, rejection, pain, suffering, um, hope. You know, all of these are not copyrighted by any religion. You know, this is part of the spectrum and broadband of our emotional um, and spiritual selves, you know, that we all share. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So you had never had that sensation before or you just never sort of like put it in your your glossary? (laughs) Well, I had had, um, as a child, I had had 
a shot of adrenaline for a severe asthma attack. So I knew what adrenaline felt like as a therapy measure. So I I did understand like the chest feeling and that. But in that moment, um, you know, in relationship to the um, accident ahead of me, you know, I was registering a group adrenaline of all of us having this kind of need to react soon. And so then now that I know that this is what it feels like, um, sometimes when I pick up people's anxiety, it has a little bit of similar feel. You know, there's always this kind of um, uh, heart racing, chest feeling heavy. And so Mm -hmm. when I feel that, I'm instantly going, you know, is this my anxiety? I'm not a very anxious person. So when I feel it, it's very uncomfortable because I'm not used to it. And so it's usually a signal that somebody around me is um, anxious or having an anxiety attack. Mm -hmm. Right. And I could relate to that. I feel that I pick that up very easily, very easily. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for people who do, it's really important if they're also anxious that it will almost feel like it's amplified then. So this is another reason why it's very important to know who you are and what is yours. So if you are picking up um, anxiety around you, you know, don't overly identify with it. Um, If it's yours, then yes, okay, this is mine. This is why I'm anxious. I'm nervous about this. But if you're picking it up um, from around you, you know, don't, pick it up. In other words, receive the information. Oh, yes, somebody's anxious around me. I, you know, and what I say is there's many things you can do to alleviate um, this message that you're receiving. Because I say, you know, empathic people um, have kind of a message board. These messages from the environment kind of come in and are held there until you acknowledge it in a way. And if you don't acknowledge it and you just accept it as yours, then, you know, it kind of comes in and it, it um, can bog down your energy fields and because, you know, it's really hard to process other people's stuff, you know. But what we can do is we can offer compassion and we can offer goodwill and we can witness it. And I like to say, you know, there's a difference between being an observer and being a witness. And it's really fine to observe, you know, there's things out there like observe and don't absorb or of something of that nature and and that's true there's very it's very it's a very good practice to know when just observing something and that means oh somebody's sad or oh somebody's anxious or oh somebody has a bad back and just passively receive that information and say no this is not mine um but i send them goodwill and good wishes um but even that is a bit of a witness because, you know, if you were a witness at a wedding, you're required to sign your name. If you're a witness at a crime scene, you know, you're asked to give details. So you have to participate in some way. And when you become an empath, I said, you know, it's really truly a service. So you're more witnessing than observing in the sense that you can ask, is this mine? Is it mine to do more with? You know, should I engage the energy, kind of feel what would balance it out, intend that for the person who it originated from. Um, You know, so you can see how the more you go into the empath role and the role of service, um, you know, you really need to know what is yours and what is not yours, or you would become easily overwhelmed or um, burnt out (laughs) thinking that you had to fix everything, which you don't. You only need to attend to yourself and knowing what, you know, what gives you balance and um, what is genuinely part of your nature. You know, because there are people who are very drawn to the animal kingdom who are empathic and there's people who are really drawn to nature. So, again, I'm all about, you know, know who you are. Where, where do you naturally gravitate to? You know, what is your um, social justice thing? Because, you know, most empathic people do feel very deeply. And it is, you know, challenging to live in a world where there are so many imbalances. So um, the way to check in to not over, like, commit yourself to trying to fix everything is to really just gauge where are your 
natural passions and interests lie and, um, you know, examine that. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That explains a lot. So how do we, you know, it can be difficult um, when you're just beginning to learn this, when you're recognizing this and just beginning to learn this, to discern what is yours and what is someone else's. And, and you were saying basically ask, you know, is this mine or is this someone else's? But in the beginning, when you're just trying to figure this out, that's not always so easy. Is there a, 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 an easier way to be able to do that, to be able to tell what's yours and what's not? Well, the the truest and I think um, most um, comprehensive way is to start doing your own work because, you know, for you to understand your life experiences and to put it into perspective, um, you know, that affords you a lot of authority. You know, when you displace your authority into others or into other people's belief systems and you judge yourself by that, that really complicates the communication channel with yourself. And so I always say you have to come back to yourself. You have to, you know, as as kind of cliche as it is about the oxygen mask, you know, that you need to put on yourself in an airplane situation before you help anyone else, it truly is what is going to help you understand what is yours and what is somebody else's. And I would say for myself, um, Excuse me. I I kind of started to do this myself, uh, my own inner work when I was probably in my late twenties, um, early thirties, and it was when I had children, and I realized, you know, I started to comprehend um, generational programming and how if you don't deal with your own um, imbalances or dysfunction from your own childhood, you know, it very easily gets passed on to the next generation. And I felt um, a lot of responsibility to trying to clean up my my issues so that my children didn't have to be the next generation to deal with it. And yes, you know, I do my bit and maybe I don't clean it all up because, you know, it's a complicated um, thing because, you know, they have their father's genetics as well. But, you know, if I can take responsibility for my stuff, um, that is how, that's also an act of service for generations to come. And so it's about self-awareness. It's about self-empowerment. It's about authenticity. And so also I want to say, too, when somebody is empathic and they are overwhelmed by the environment and you declare, okay, you know what, I need to, I, I need to look at myself. I need to do my own inner work. I, I do not, um, it's not that I don't honor my sensitivities or my nature, but to help myself out, I really need to go within and honor my life experiences and what it has taught me and how it has, um, you know, whatever revelations. And remarkably, the environment will calm down because it understands that an authority, you have taken authority over your own energy and you're not just giving it out to everybody um, nilly willy. And so there is this beautiful, poignant um, relation, symbiotic relationship that you have with the environment when you become more self-aware and when you articulate, you know, I need space, I need to go in, I need everything around me to calm down. And, and it... Um, typically does are there environments um and i'll be a little more specific are there environments where it's just so overwhelming for someone who is empath- has empathic sensitivity like for instance um the one that i that comes to mind for me is antique stores and consignment shops so okay, totally <laughs> yeah okay okay <laughs> So, right. So I can go in there feeling, okay, I'm all energetic and feeling great. Oh, I can't wait to walk around and look at this stuff. And I come out and I'm like a wrung out rag. I'm so drained and and, and everything like that. And no matter what tools I use to protect myself, (laughs) um, they they don't seem to work. So (laughs) you're relating to this. So so are there environments that can really, truly overwhelm us? Yes, there are. I mean, I totally get um, what you're saying. I used to live in Houston, um, kind of North Houston, and there was um, Old Town Spring is what it was called, and it had a lot of 
kind of old antique stuff. And I could not go in there. I mean, this was earlier on when I wasn't completely, I would say, an empath, but I was very aware of the energetic world. I felt um, intimidated, you know. So your, you know, the, your confidence also about how to handle environments offers resiliency. You know, like when you start to say, okay, this is just information. Um, but the thing about like antique stores, I find it's um, it's so stagnant that the energy wants to pull you down. Because um, so one of the services I offer are property clearings and, you know, clearing something of an imprint, you know, kind of giving it a clean slate. This is what they don't do at antique stores, you know, they, unless <laughs> you have an energy aware person. So you just have a collection of just really dense energy and not even really quite a message. It's just all denseness. Um, I also advise my own kids um, who, you know, have their own views on the world. But if they go to a thrift shop, if they go to a vintage store and they're buying, because it's really popular to go, you know, to resources, um, you know, to buy used, don't, you know, buy new. And so they'll they'll shop a lot at thrift stores. And I'm like, you know, you, you'll probably want to energetically clear that before you start wearing it. Um, because thrift sh- shops do the same thing to me. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of denseness. Well, that explains a lot. So yeah. it would be wise for <laughs> for the owners of these stores to do clearings. At least save yes. the environment I mean, from time to time. <laughs> yeah, but, you yeah. know, that could be a whole new service provided for people, you know. If, um, yeah. You know, because also clearing stuff, you know, clearing a property, you know, it can help move the energy into a new expression and it can harmonize the intention of the owner um you know so it, it's very holistic um and and it's a blessing i i say you know i feel energy of words and like so blessing for me energetically means um you're putting something into service and mm. it lifts it up into that so like when you, i advise people to bless their journals because it takes it out of this kind of monologue ranting or just a repetitive pattern of saying the same thing and if you bless it with the intention that it serves you to gain insight and self-awareness it becomes more of a dialogue a dialogue with you and you know a potential higher source of intelligence or creativity or a muse even yeah i got it yeah um yeah, there are there some people that just their energy is just um, so in conflict with our own that it makes us not be around, be able to be around those people. Yeah, and and this is also a choice because you know it, when you have your own authority, you get to choose who you want around you, right? This is part of you know you taking responsibility for yourself and your energy and. Um, you know, I have, I've, you know, done a lot of different studies, different places. And one was when I lived in Australia, I studied at the Melanie Ryan Institute of Applied Consciousness, you know, very brilliant woman, very, um, just wise. And she has a lot of different ways of explaining things. And, you know, cause we are in a, you know, there is a bit of duality here and you have the choice whether you want to play in the fields of duality or if you want to be centered in non-duality and be living from your heart, which is kind of a neutral channel, your neutral channel kind of a, allows yourself to um, be non-judgmental. You can accept um, that there are life experiences that, you know, maybe um, weren't pleasant, but nonetheless they were yours and it formed you in some way and you offer compassion and so, but one of the ways that she would help people in this situation you've just described about people that you really just, you know, your energy is just at odds with, it's usually because there's something in their energy that is, um, doesn't resonate with you that, you know, just, you know, it's, it's not a good fit. And when you see people who have behaviors that are in conflict with, you know, your morality or your consciousness, um, you know, it's rather than judging them, you can just simply say, I am not that. 
And this ability to say I am and I am not um, allows it to kind of reinforce to your own energy and your own consciousness what you know to be true for you. And so the more you can, you know, so say you see an example of somebody who was incredibly inspirational, um, down to earth, you know, they kind of had a magnetic presence, you know, you just felt like they were, you know, a decent person. And you like the way you felt around them, you know, by seeing them and their energy and saying, I am that, it is telling your energy system, again, you know, not that we're computers and we're programming ourselves, but in a way, your mind is like that, you know. So you reinforcing to your mind that I am that, and mm-hmm. that is kind of what you're wanting to embody for yourself. And likewise, when you see behavior, um, you know, or dysfunction um, that you know would undermine your own authority and wobble you, you you simply say, I am not that. I am not that. From it. Yeah. Okay. And that's telling your mind, that's giving your subconscious mind, because your subconscious mind, you know, is long-term memory. And so you're trying to get out of um, these old habits and patterns. And so by you taking control of your mind, of you taking control of your authority and helping your mind understand who you are, who you know yourself to be, knowing your own greatness and not compromising on that. Um, You know, this is kind of how you can go through relationships and discern like, okay, this person has, you know, too many I am not. (laughs) And so why would I want to be with them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you feel that? It's a very energetic thing. Can you like imagine for yourself in in an environment um, that, you know, you saying, give yourself saying, kind of these boundaries, yeah. Right, saying I am or I am not. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to work right away. <laughs> no, but I no, know no. It's, it's, you know, it could be a conditioning. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's an awareness. It's It shows that you're present in the moment and you're self-aware. Yes, it's, uh, that's, yeah. that's something that I've never done. I've I'm really happy to hear that, and um, it's so easy to put that into action in my life specifically. specifically. Yeah, and you, you know what? It, it also clears up any energetic tendencies of projecting on people because, you know, when you project on somebody, you know, they're kind of like spitballs um, energetically <laughs> that you're sending out, and, you know, that kind of almost binds you to that person you, through your judgment. And so... This is a more compassionate way that you know you're just you're just understanding that their behavior is not what you want to to be part of and or their consciousness, and so it allows you to just say rather than say you're a horrible person or you're this or that, it's just simply I am not that, and it's okay. a declaration of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In your book, you talk about the the three, four, and five dimensional. Um, planes and physical planes and I have heard numerous times that we are in and out now of the fifth dimension and um, some of us feel it more than others do. Um, Is this something that we're going to feel more, uh, a person who's an empath is going to be able to feel the difference in those planes? Are they, are we that sensitive Yes, I, I I believe so, especially, you know, if you are embodied in yourself and your lower chakras are a functioning without a lot of um, distortion or, you know, stagnation. And, um, you know, I, for myself, I, you know, you would hear people talk about the fifth dimension in many different ways. And I needed for myself to understand this and the way that I through meditation and, you know, working with energy, what I found the easiest way to understand this as a personal thing that each and every one of us can do is, you know, when you go up the chakras, so I talk about first dimension as like, you know, the physical plane. It's very, there's not a lot to it. It's very non-dimensional. It's just flat. And then you come into the second chakra, which is your emotional body. 
Um, so, you know, you are working on that and, you, you know, that's also part of empathy and gaining empathy for someone, um, you know, helps a connection. It helps connect humanity. It's um, expansive. But a lot of people, they can have empathy only based on their life experiences. So this is where you get a politician who um, actually has to borrow a constituent story to create an emotional um, connection to, you know, their um, their the the people on their their who would vote for them, and you know they have to borrow someone else's story because they don't have that personal um, experience, and so it would lack the emotional content. So this is where real life really comes in to give depth and enrichment is your own emotional um, connection to your life. And so when you go out of not needing your own life experiences and you go into more universal empathy, that's a bit more from the heart chakra. And that's where you can see, um, you know, suffering or someone's pain, um, you know, regardless of whether you experience what they experience, you can see as a human to human connection that, um, you know, there may be injustice or there may be, um, you know, tragedy and whatnot. Um, And so then you go to your third chakra, which is, you know, your mental body. And your mental body, you know, all your subtle bodies work together. They create a holistic um, consciousness. But sometimes people who don't want to feel because they've had really toxic environments or they're overwhelmed um, and they numb out, they numb themselves out um, in certain ways, they start to rely more and more on their mental body. And this is where judgment comes in because it's easier to judge something than to feel something. And so part of the untangling, as you get up into the, you know, the mental, emotional, and physical, you're at a third dimensional. You know, this is a human body walking around, eating, drinking, sleeping. Um, But when you go up to the heart chakra, which is the fourth, dimension and the spiritual body that is where you kind of start bringing in uh, more expansive um, thoughts and perceptions based on connectivity about oneness you know and so when you get to the spiritual um, the fifth uh, well the spiritual subtle body is in the fourth dimension Um, when you get to the fifth it's kind of a point of singularity is what I want to say and that is where all of those subtle bodies, you know, come together and they function as one rather than independently. They they are, you know, super fluidity. They, they come together and it becomes one point of singularity in which you understand that everything around you and within you is um, connected to oneness. And so, you know, beyond that, you know, I've experienced that maybe once or twice in my life, this um, total immersion into nothingness, but also oneness and stillness. And it's, you know, just profound and it's even hard to articulate. Um, But yes, I think if you're sensitive, you will know that, you know, there are, there's places in this world where it really supports or has this energy about it. I personally feel this, often when I'm in nature, because, you know, nature knows itself. It's authentic. It's, it doesn't have an agenda. And so when you're in that environment of um, that knowingness, and today I believe is Earth Day, so let's honor, you know, that nature is the most authentic presence we have before us and, um, you know, appreciate and, and give gratitude and also you know, know that you too are perfect. And um, yeah, I kind of went on a ramble there, but I hope no, you no, feel, okay. feel. No, yeah. no, no, no. So really, so we're, it's when we're in our zone, you know, it's yes. when you're in that zone where you just, uh, you just feel at peace at one with everything. Um, and that's what the fifth dimension is, um, feels like. So uh, are we in and out of that at times or how, how do you see that? Oh yeah, I I see that, you know, um, you know we we we're in world, you know we're in a body, we're in a life, we're we're in relationships, 
and some will be more taxing than others, and that's only to kind of show where we may might still have um you know perceptions or energy that need to be addressed but you can all you know I did a lot of outward bound stuff when I was younger, and you know they use a quote from Tennyson, but it basically comes down to you know you can't you can only go as fast as the weakest link. <laughs> so mm-hmm. within, you know, um, you know, we're multidimensional. I mean, you know, we've got, a, we have a system that is influencing different things, our mental, our emotional, you know, our psyche is composed of different things. Our mind, you know, has all these different, you know, subconscious mind, the, you know, subconscious mind. You know, there is so much going on as a processing um, component of our life. And there's going to be times where, you know, your emotional body gets triggered. And when it gets triggered, it's like, okay, there's still something here I need to look at. And so everything kind of slows down and allows the emotional body um, a chance to clear out, clean out, um, you know, kind of get regenerated into a newer expression of health and wellness. And, you know, so you have to allow that, you know, just like, a car needs maintenance, you know, you're going to be going through life and the more you clear, the more capacity you have, you know, to have compassion, to care about others, to care about yourself, to have self-love, because self-love is the Teflon, really. I mean, if anyone projected on you and you have self-love, you know, you really don't care what they think and it would just fall off, it wouldn't. But if you have negative thoughts about yourself, and someone similarly projects upon you around this subject, you know, it's like Velcro. It just kind of, um, you know, complicates your relationship with yourself. And, and that's, for me, the tr- as a spiritual counselor, um, you know, the trespassing is when you project upon someone else because you're, you're basically undermining their own authority and trying to tell them who they are. And so this is, you know, my public service announcement is the more you can be self-conscious about your thoughts and limiting how you project onto others and yourself. You know, like doing a property clearing, most times you have to clear a ton off the mirrors because people look at themselves and they instantly start going to, you know, oh, I wish that was different. Or, you know, that's where a lot of self-loathing happens is in front of mirrors. Wow. So we could all really uh, stand to clear our mirrors. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and I said, as I say in the book, as an empath, you know, I used to feel that if everyone just attended to their own um, stuff, (laughs) the environments would be less cluttered with pollution. And I, you know, I also say, you know, the problem or the challenges that are facing empathic people is we get a double whammy in that we see litter and pollution on the physical realm and we see the toxic relationship. So we're, we're dealing with it physically, you know, on the physical plane, but then we also feel it energetically, the projections, the, um, you know, the negative thought forms. So you know, this is why self-care is really important for an empathic, sensitive person because, you know, you're getting hit on both realms um, with kind of this toxicity. And so having in place um, a way that you can always come back to yourself and do body work, whether that's a massage or yoga or, you know, any sort of movement that can help your subtle bodies um, circulate and I also say that, you know, your emotional subtle body, its key house is being able to be playful and creative and, you know, really allow it to find a way to express itself, you know. So Yes, I do. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. Oh, so um, we're at the end of the hour. Um so your book, The Space in Between, An Empath's Field Guide. And um, do you have a website? Yes, I do. Um, it's www.smhovum, my last name, .com. And also, if you went to www.empathfieldguide.com, it will um, take you to the book portion of my website. 
And I'd like to say that right now I have a um, an online empath quiz that I tried to, you know, really address what I was critical about on other online empath quizzes where, you know, you basically, you know, ticked off boxes and it gave you the label, but not really describing what that meant. So mine is made to be kind of situational and it help, you know, it's, it gives scenarios so that people can kind of really think, okay, how would I respond or react to the situation? And then it's followed up with an email that really kind of um, goes into detail where they may be on the spectrum from being empathic to an empath or a highly sensitive person. Thank you. That makes that that really will help clear it up for a lot of people who are listening because it is there is there are you know fine lines between all of them and like you said it's kind of like a Venn diagram there is a crossover so um, yeah that, that really helps us to understand I think it's understanding who we are is really the the basis for um, for living uh, in our skin in a comfortable way living in our mind in a comfortable way and which and you pointed out self-love I mean that is the root of all all healing and all, you know, spiritual work, um, physical work, emotional work, we've got to love ourselves first, which is so confusing for people who um, have been told that it's selfish to do so. Well, right. And also if you've been modeled what is presumably supposed to be loved by authority figures that didn't know it themselves, um, you know, this is how generational programming gets passed down. So, you know, it's the idea that, um, you know, looking at what is, you know, pure love and acceptance and, um, yeah, it's, there's a lot there. I I want to say that I the quote I used in my book that I start my book out with is um, by a Greek ancient poet, Pindar, and the quote is, know who you are and be such. And that has really been my kind of um, life quote uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, knowing who you are and then be such, you know, take out the disparity, take out the theoretical, you know, go, can you apply it? You know, can you live your life authentically from that? That is so crucial. It's so crucial. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, that's uh Many of the clients that I work with, we we do that because when you come out of an abusive relationship, especially like in adulthood, um, not necessarily, it could be from your childhood too, but you're you've been prevented from being who you are. You've been it's there's been a stopgap put in there so that you become uh, just a, a copy or just a puppet of your abuser. So it's hard for people. Um, and the first time I ask people, who are you? <laughs> it's yeah. really, really scary for them. Really? I don't, I don't well, know. I don't <laughs> No, exactly. But, you know, I think, you know, having people like yourself and, you know, it seems to be building more and more in society about the idea of learning how to regulate your nervous system and identifying, well, how did you get hardwired through, you know, through your experiences to be reactionary and um, you know this is what you need to do is provide the space for people to start asking well who am I truly you know Mm -hmm. yes I have a story yes I've had experiences and in some ways they've defined me but that doesn't necessarily have to mean it limits you yes so true thank you Signee for being with me today this has been a great conversation I've really enjoyed it Thank you. I have too. I am so pleased to have been here and and I hope your listeners um, likewise feel supported by what we discussed. I think they do. You know, your point of view is different than what has, you know, others, others have presented or what I may have even presented. So um, thank you for clearing that up. It's, it's really, really important to hear your, your viewpoint on this. So thank you and have a wonderful day. Take care. Yeah, you too. All right. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. 
Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.